Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody, this is Bumblebee, and you're listening to the TFG1 podcast. Cool, huh? Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. Transformers, robots in disguise. Transformers, more than meets the eye. Transformers. Hello and welcome to the TFG1 podcast. I'm one of your hosts, TFG1 Mike. Joining me is Pecan Court Michael. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Now, this is not the first interview on the the G1 review show that we've done in the past. We did interview Stan Bush beforehand. However, this is the very first TFG1 podcast voice actor interview. And we welcome the voice of Spider-Man, Bumblebee, uh, Cooler from Pound Puppies, Mr. Dan Gilvazan. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hey, Mike. Just fine. Thanks. How are you? Very well. Very well. Oh, and also let me say hello to your cohort, Michael. <laughs> hello. <laughs> now, you know, if you guys really want to make it in show business, one of you are going to have to change your name. Because Mike and Michael is not going to work. We need... How, Michael, let me ask you, have you considered Terry? <laughs> I'll tell you no. what. Let's, during, just for the sake of this interview, I'm going to call Mike Mike, and Michael, you will be Terry. Terry. <laughs> Mm. Is, yeah. is that a male persuasion or a female persuasion? Because well, yeah. I, I might it's take actually, offense. Uni- Since I don't know you, it's going to have to be unisexual. Uh, for a second there, I thought he was going for a Hulk Hogan reference. <laughs> no, 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 not to, no. Now, not to say that you, uh, Michael, uh, are, or Terry, now, uh, are, uh, are unisexual because I'm not really familiar with your sexual habits. But I, I am going to refer to you as Terry. And, Mike, I will refer to you as M tonight, mm. just M. <laughs> Okay, so are we straight now on who we are? I think so. Did you okay, have a, did you have a career in stand up comedy? No, I did not. I've just sat in a lot of waiting rooms with comedians in in my career. So, okay, boys, let's uh, hit me with the questions. All right, uh, where did you grow up? I have not yet, as you can probably tell. But I was born I was born in St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, 
and uh, I lived there for till I was about 21, and then I left, and then I went to the East Coast and did uh, some theater, and then I uh, came out west and uh, landed in Los Angeles, and that's where I've stayed because, frankly, it's uh, worked out nicely, and I like the weather. <laughs> awesome. Uh, did you always want to be an actor or a voice actor? Um, yes. As a matter of fact, I had no... You know, I've heard the story before from a lot of actors that they, they had that sort of that aha moment where it's like, wow, this is what I want to do. And I had it really early on. I mean, I remember when I was just like a kid, maybe seven, eight years old, I would be in the backyard giving puppet shows and magic acts. And I studied ventriloquism for a while. I mean, I just, I seemed to always have that drive to perform. And then in high school, I actually got to do some plays. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting because not only do people like, you know, look at you and, and give you all kinds of kudos and stuff and make you special. But also, it's kind of interesting, the whole process. So I sort of got my ego stroked, and I also, you know, sort of um, my artistic sensibility was fulfilled at the same time. So, yeah, I knew early on that that's what I wanted to do. Awesome. Cool. Wow. Well, it's a long way from St. Louis to L.A. Uh, can you tell us... Well, <laughs> really? Well, can you tell us the story of how you broke into the business? Um, I did. Actually, I broke in uh, through a window. Uh, it was a bathroom window. At the, no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> what, happened, what happened was I moved out to Los Angeles in uh, 1976, a long time ago, and really didn't do much for about four or even five years. Um, I spent a lot of time just shopping my picture around, and I did a few commercials and stuff like that, but I, there was, wasn't really much, uh, much activity around my career. And then there was a casting call, uh, and I guess it was 1980 um, or early 81, I'm not sure, for the role of Spider-Man in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, uh, Marvel's uh, first animated series, the, the first one that Marvel actually oversaw. To this point, they had always licensed their characters out to other companies. But this time they were going to do it. It was going to be an in-house Marvel production. It was the beginning of Marvel productions. And Stan Lee came out with a lot of the staff, and they set up an office out here. So everybody in town was up for this thing, and that included me, because I really I had no experience whatsoever in the voiceover world. And um, lo and behold, uh, I ended up with the job after innumerable callbacks and callbacks of callbacks. And so I really kind of, you know, splashed onto the scene in a, in a, in a big way. And, um, you know, it was, it was really just a, the confluence of events. And that's when it all began, really, uh, back in 1981 with Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Very nice. Yeah, well I thought so. <laughs> well, we know you best as the title character right, from Spider-Man uh, and as Bumblebee from the Transformers. But uh, what other shows have you lent your voice talents to or any oh, talents? Well, during, uh, well, you know, during the 80s, once uh, G.I. Joe and the Transformers became so popular, all these other toy companies jumped on the bandwagon. So there was a, just a raft of animated shows being made uh, tied to toy lines in the, in the late 80s. I did. Uh, I was the lead character uh, of Dargon in um, uh, uh, Dino Riders. Yeah, Dino Riders. Uh, Sectars. I was the lead. I, I was always the young hero guy. I don't know why, because uh, I guess it's voice quality or whatever. Uh, I did a show called Sectars. We did a show called uh, Spiral Zone. Uh, I did a very short live series uh, called Ring Raiders. I mean, there were just lots and lots of stuff. Uh, but my 
probably one of my, my favorite ones though was was cooler on the pound puppies for Hanna Barbera because that was very different from you know from the young hero guys that was you know hey that was a kind of a cartoon voice that I got to do you know so that was kind of cool I thought um, so those are just some of the some of the things that I did and it was it was truly a golden age for the for voiceover actors uh, the late eighties because there was so much work going on. Uh, speaking of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, we always thought that Bobby Drake sounded a bit too much like Fred Jones from Scooby-Doo. What was it like working? <laughs> what was it Imagine like? Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, well, it... you know, did you notice that Firestar sounded a lot like Sissy on Family Affair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's odd, wasn't it? No, what, what was it like what, working what was... with Drake for the first time? Oh, uh, I got to tell you, well... For someone like me who, you know, I had acting training, but I had never had any specific voiceover training. And it is really a different technique when you're, when you're just using your voice to portray a character. And Frank, as, you know, most anyone who knows anything about voiceover, is the absolute best in the business. He's the, the finest voiceover perf- artist performing today. He's the Mel Blanc of our time. So to stand next to Frank was a big big help to me because I was able to sort of see how he worked the mic. I was sort of able to watch his approach and I learned so, so much from Frank. And um, on top of that, he's one of the nicest guys in the world. Um, I haven't seen him in a while, but uh, we hung out a lot uh, during those early years and just a real sweetheart and, and talent for days. Yeah, I mean, he is the man of a thousand animal voices. Any sound yeah, you can think of, he yeah, can make he, it. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. I mean, he can do anything. I, I've heard him do, I mean, he does dragons, he does monsters, he does dogs. He did Ms. Lion um, in, in the <laughs> show. Uh, yeah. He does dogs, he does cats, he does, I mean, just about, he does cr- a cricket that is really phenomenal. His cricket is so lifelike, it's, it, you keep looking around for it. I think I think my favorite Welker story is the one about the feedback in a Wally Burt <laughs> session. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, uh, no, it wasn't feedback. It was overlap. It was like, right, oh, yeah. they got overlap there. No, it's just Frank. Well, he used to do feedback too. He he would, yeah. as a matter of fact, uh, I talk about this in the book. One of his uh, one of his little tricks that he played on the engineer was, um, you know, the, that high pitched whine that happens when the mic feeds back on itself. Frank could do that like perfectly. And once in the middle of the session, he just started doing it. And Wally Burr, our director, had to stop the recording. And, and the engineer is looking through his connections and he's pulling and pushing his, his buttons and his levers. And he's like, can't figure this out. And Frank is in the booth with us. And he's like, Frank's like looking around like a, like a ventriloquist would do, right? I mean, and he's still right. doing the sound. But he's, he's looking around like he can't tell us where it's coming from either. I mean, the, the engineer comes in and he's looking for all the stuff. And he finally dis- discovered that it was Frank doing it. And it was just... I mean, it was really one of the one of the red letter days for us. I mean, we fooled around a lot during those sessions because they were, you know, when we began, they were eight hour sessions. Um, so there was a lot of time spent in that studio. And once you're in there for a while, you start to get punchy. And so there was a lot of hijinks. I think you'd probably call them, yeah, hijinks. Yeah, hijinks. <laughs> Between Welker and Michael Bell, I'm sure. Uh, it was well. Michael Bell is first of all has an extraordinarily trenchant wit. Michael will will cut you to ribbons and you'll laugh your ass off at the same time. Um, Welker is a little gentler, and then you had Peter Cullen who thinks that uh, Frank Welker is the funniest man on earth. So whatever comes out of Frank's mouth, Peter would be. <laughs> 
that was Peter's laugh. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a lot of, it was a magic time. I, I will say that it was just a lot of fun for all of us. Very awesome. So, do you find your work on Spider-Man being compared to other renditions of Spider-Man, like Tobey Maguire? Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, there have been many iterations of Spider-Man. Mostly, um, I get compared with the the animated versions um, because that that was part of my gig. But um, you know, everybody's got their favorite, and generally, it's whoever you grew up with. I've heard people say, "Well, you're you're for me the definitive Spider-Man," and it's because they grew up, they were at that perfect age when Spider-Man and his amazing friends. For a lot of people, it would be, you know, Josh Keaton who did, uh, was he Spectacular Ultimate Spider-Man? Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, it, it depended on, on who, where you were in your life and what show you were watching, I think. And I think, you know, they're very careful about the character. So anybody who's performing it is, is doing it, you know, uh, an A1 job. All right. Well, I think you are the one that I grew up with. Uh, so, so I'm your best. So yeah, exactly, as far as I'm concerned, and, and you know, many people that uh, like our age, uh, they well, just keep making more. more. <laughs> they keep making hey, more the Spider-Man way, Terry, shows. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, M. Hey, yeah. M. Yeah. Is Terry still there? <laughs> Terry, you there? I'm right here. Okay, good. Terry here, Dan. Okay. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> All right, go ahead, M. Red Terry, checking in. Thank you. I'm sorry. Where were we? Oh, I was just going to ask you. Uh, 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 closing out the Amazing Spider-Man thing here. Um, any interest in making like a celebrity voice cameo on one of these other Spider-Man shows, or perhaps playing? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, show me an actor that turns down work, and I'll show you a, a, an insane actor. Um, we, in fact, just last year, or was it last year? Yeah, last year, I guess we did a, a video game called. Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, and they used four of us because there were four separate Spider-Men. There was uh, Spider-Man 2099, which is the one they cast me as, and they decided to use all people who voiced him in the past. So Neil Patrick Harris was one. Uh, he was amazing, uh, uh, both in the role and as Spider-Man. Josh Keaton was, I believe, Ultimate Spider-Man, and, uh, oh, he's going to hate me for this. Uh, Dan, uh, Christopher Daniel, Daniel Barnes was yeah, the noir yeah. Spider-Man. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Chris Barnes was was uh, so we all got a, ch a chance to kind of reprise our roles, and that was a lot of fun. Huh. Yes. Um, now, for the twenty ninety nine Spider Man, when I first saw the trailer, I remember watching reruns of uh, Spider Man and His Amazing Friends, and that that version sounds like really happy go lucky to me. Yeah, the the old cartoon version, the 2099 version you did, even though it's essentially the same voice, it sounded a lot darker. Did you inflect any different tones than what you did back in 1981? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We were very, uh, yeah, we were very, very uh, cognizant of the fact that it had to be a lot harder, a lot, uh, um, a lot grittier. And the voice director uh, worked very hard with me on on because I I came in doing the sort of 80s version, and they said no 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 no. This guy is like hard ass man. He's gonna he's gonna really hurt you. You need to get down, Just keep the energy, but it really needs to be a lot more gritty. So we yeah we worked very hard, and that was a real conscious decision. I mean, not only has my voice matured in the last thirty years, but that was a very conscious artistic decision on the part of the producers. Awesome, Terry. Well, I'm Terry. How's it going? 
Uh, I recognize Steve Bloom as the 2099 Hobgoblin. And, uh, you yeah. know, that guy is great. But what, uh, what do you think of his work? I think he's terrific. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that much about the rest of his work, but I think he did a fantastic job in that role. Did you get to work with him in the booth, or were all the lines recorded separately? Everything was uh, was recorded separately. I the only reason the only time I ever saw the other guys, uh, and I never saw Neil Patrick Harris because he's frankly way too big to associate with me. Uh, I saw Josh <laughs> and uh, Christopher when we did the uh, when we did a little promo the uh, the trailer for the thing. They were in the studio at the same time. But no, the the games are generally uh, pretty much always done one actor at a time, and and that's kind of a shame because I miss. Like uh, the Transformers and most of the shows we did back in the 80s were all, you know, there was an ensemble of, of actors together. And then there's a different energy, and which is, as I say, the director is very important in the, in the game thing because they keep your energy up. You, start, you may start to flag, and, you know, the director will constantly be saying, okay, give, me, give, me a little, give it faster. Give it a little more energy, a little more energy, because you don't have that feedback from the other actors. So I really kind of miss that, but that's the way that the, the games are done these days. These young whippersnappers, I tell you, they they don't know. We when we were young, I used to walk twelve miles through a blinding sandstorm to get to the studio. Yes, sir. Oh, those were the days. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Okay. And just to, before we transition to something else, uh, just to uh, let you know that essentially you are bigger than Neil Patrick Harris in our opinion. Well, anyway. I'm taller. <laughs> I think <laughs> and I certainly uh, outweigh him by a few pounds. Yeah, we're gonna talk about some GI Joe stuff. Uh, okay. There was a lot of crossover uh, in 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 the voice casting for GI Joe and Transformers. Were the recording yeah. sessions any different between the two? Not really. In fact, the the cast was was really similar. I mean, you had Michael Bell who was Duke, and um, mm-hmm. uh, and he of course was Prowl in. Uh, in Transformers, so there was a lot of uh, the same people. I mean, it was it was a very similar experience. Um, yeah, it was it was. In fact, it was almost identical, except for the characters. And you you know you're not robots, you're you're soldiers. But yeah, it was very close to the same. And Wally directed them too. So yeah, it was like it, they were almost identical. Huh. I almost imagined that they'd almost be in the same studio. They are. In, they were in the same studio. They were in Wally Burr's studio. Oh, um, nice. yeah, they were all done in the, in the, you know, Wally had his own studio, uh, and that's where all the stuff was done. That's where they did Jim. That's where they did, uh, where, where we did Transformers, GI Joe, um, whatever other shows Wally was directing were generally done at his studio. So yeah, all that, that boy, if those walls could talk, whoo. <laughs> nice. Uh, you've talked about how, uh, you know, cast members in that studio played up to three parts in each episode of Transformers. Yeah. Uh, why did you only get one in G.I. Joe? I think you just did Slipstream. I could be wrong. I think yeah, he also did Beachhead. Been... Yeah, I did oh. uh, Beachhead, too. Um, so I was up to two. Come on, man. Don't, you know, don't... Yeah, I couldn't tell trip, because yeah. he's always got that ski mask on. Yeah, exactly. So you couldn't tell. Well, yeah. and plus they didn't have to animate the mouth, so it was really cool. Um, <laughs> generally, you know, my whole sort of forte was, you know, being an actor as a voiceover person. So... It wasn't so much uh, range, like Welker has incredible range, or uh, Corey Burton has just, you know, incredible range, where he goes from, you know, Spike to Braun. I mean, it's, you couldn't be any more different. I'm mm. sort of in the same range, so they can't really give me too many roles, because it's all going to sound like, you know, Fred and, um, and Bobby Drake. 
Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, uh, for the guys whose real specialty is to just do lots of different voices, they ended up doing many, many more characters. And you see, like, um, by Casey Kasem, who has a very distinctive voice, only did a few characters. Scatman only did one, because, I mean, he's Scatman. You know, that, yeah, yeah. you hire him for that voice. So that's, I think that's kind of the reason. I mean, I have some range, but that was not really my strong point. Right, right. Um, let's... Uh talk about transformers which you are most known for uh what inspired you to write uh bumblebee and me how did how did how did the whole book come about well um we've we've done some uh, some uh, conventions uh in the mm -hmm. past we went to birmingham england for auto assembly a few years back we went to toronto for uh tfcon uh we're going to be doing uh we'll be doing actually um uh, Botcon, Botcon in Dallas. Yeah, yeah Botcon's coming up in Dallas, and we just uh, made a deal with them to come and uh, and do Botcon. So if you're in the neighborhood, stop by because we'd like to say hi. Uh, at any rate, the questions. The question. How, how did the book come about? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, that... get, I'm getting coaching from my wife in the background. <laughs> tell him about this. Don't tell him this. Yeah, <laughs> honey, why don't you go back to the kitchen? Everything's fine. Okay, she, she's leaving now. It's all good. Oh, wow. oh, I'm going to get in trouble later. I can tell there you goes that. the fan girl uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, at, at the conventions that we've done, um, you know, fans are always curious about, you know, what it was like and, you know, what was it like working with this person, similar to you know, some of the questions you've asked me. Mm -hmm. And during the summer, I had some time off, and I thought, you know, it, what if I just put this down in a book, you know, for people who, you know, weren't able to make it to a convention or couldn't go to a panel or couldn't, you know, be there when the questions were answered. So I sat down and I decided to take it from, you know, the, the, the day that I actually first got the role to the day that uh, the, the show ended and try and address all the questions and tell stories and anecdotes. And um, that's pretty much how the book came about. Um, I actually, uh, I got the audio version and I absolutely yeah. love listening to audio versions where, especially with voice actors, if the voice actor writes a book about their life and they are the ones that do the audio version, I love that. Um, and there were times where I laughed. There were times when I cried. There were times when it just made me smile. I absolutely loved listening to the book. Um, the thing about it was like, uh, I think the first time I laughed was like, this is not to have a full, complete version of the Generation 1 cartoon, and if I get anything wrong, well, go write your own damn book. I laughed right, at that exactly. so hard. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that was my whole, and the only, actually, the only criticism I've ever gotten from anybody uh, on it was, it's too darn short. But it, I didn't set out to write the definitive, you know, G1 reference guide. This was really just an attempt for me to to put down on paper, you know, some of my experiences and share some of that with, you know, with the fans or whoever might be interested in it. And I didn't want to pad it with a bunch of other stuff. And I didn't want to make it like a, you know, the autobiographies where you where you have to go through like 12 chapters of them growing up before you get to the stuff that you really want to hear about, you know, when right. they're on the TV show. Right. So rather than do all of that, I just thought, you know, I'm going to make it 80 pages long. And if that's as long as it's going to be, that's as long as it's going to be. And it's priced yeah. really low. So I haven't heard anybody complain about that too much. And I think it came out, you know, as, as for what it is, I think it came out really, really well. Oh, it did. A a absolutely. Uh, as someone who listens to audiobooks and, and podcasts and stuff like that, an hour and 20 minutes to tell your entire Transformers story, that's more than enough time. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it, it certainly doesn't drag. No. Uh, you know, there was a time, like, when it got close to the end, like, chapter, like, halfway through chapter nine, I was like, is he going to get to conventions? Because I was like, this thing's almost over. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and, yeah. And, and, and then you finally did. So, very awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, the book's doing really well. The fans are really, really digging it. I've got some great responses uh, about the book. So, I'm, I'm really, really gratified that, uh, that everybody's enjoying it as much as they are. Well, nice. mm -hmm. uh, moving on to G1 Transformers. Uh, how did you decide? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right on the characteristics for Bumblebee's voice. Well, um, and once again, that's as you know, that's a whole chapter in the book. Um, mm -hmm. but, yeah. but basically what happens is when you go in for the audition... Uh, they present you with the uh, sample script and usually some character sketches of you know what the character looks like, and you kind of put those together, and you work out something for yourself. And then when you go in, the director, who knows the character better than anybody at this point, because he's he's been to all the meetings, he you know he's he's asked questions of the producers, he's made notes, he he really knows this the characters really well, and he knows what the producers are looking for. He sort of guides you, and in the in the case of Bumblebee, um, Wally was invaluable in creating the character. We started with a kind of just a generic young person voice, and he would throw in comments like, "All right, make him make him a little uh, loosen him up a little bit, or you know, uh, make him just two or three years older, or you know, put a little street into it, make it a little less articulate." And working through that process, um, maybe 20 minutes or even a half an hour of doing that, you end up with something hopefully approaching what the producers are looking for and that's 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 where we got to and then of course as you as you perform the show uh your character tends to deepen because you understand more about it the more the more scripts you do the more episodes that you do the more experiences that your your character has the the deeper the the uh the meat of the thing gets so it's a it's a process that begins at the at the audition and really doesn't end until you finish the last very last episode uh are there any now i know that there are a lot of stories in the book about the voice sessions but are there any stories crazy off the wall behind the scenes stories that you have yet to tell well i may be holding a few back uh m i uh you know i can't give everything away at once you know because then people wouldn't come to conventions at all to see me so oh, I, I yes, they will. People, no, you know, you if, if people love you, they will come. <laughs> if you build me, they will come. Uh, um, no, 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 no. Here, no, if you build me, they will come. That's what <laughs> if you build me, they will come. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, there's probably a couple of little few things, but really I sat for a long, long time just really casting my, my mind back. And remember, we're talking 30 years ago, and nobody at the time – when I was putting the book together, I was looking for some pictures to add to the book because I thought that, that would be fun to have a picture section in the middle. And I thought, I kept thinking, God, if anybody had the foresight 
to take some photos of the sessions. But, and I, in fact, I called Wally and, uh, and asked him if he knew whether Hasbro or Sunbow or any of those guys had come in and taken a picture at any time because it would have been just, I mean, incredible to have a picture of the cast all lined up in front of the microphones. He said he didn't think so. So, it, it, you know, nobody knew that this was going to be anything. I swear to God, if I'd have known it was going to be this big, I'd have been there with a camera at every session. But nobody had any inkling that this was going to happen. It was, it was, you know, I've done tons of shows in the 80s that have just, you know, a lot of them have been completely forgotten. This one, for whatever reason, has gone on and on and on. Huh. So, no, you're not going to get any more stories out of me. You're going to have to, uh, for those of you listening, you're going to have to buy the book to get those stories, and you're going to have to come to conventions to hear the uh, the blue color, the um, the off-color ones, the ones that I actually couldn't put in the book because I wanted to keep it uh, PG-13. Uh, oh, I'm, we're strictly rated R here. Let it out. Let I'm it flow. kidding. I'm kidding. It's fine. <laughs> Just, it's we want to hear about the, uh, the holiday blooper reels. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we had the yeah, and there you know there was a blooper reel. I'm sure because there was a lot of of you know craziness that went on, and the and the and the tape keeps running. And those you know in those days we used tape. Now everything is is you know uh, is put on a hard drive. But in those days it was it was a big reel to reel tape that uh, that ran, and they just kept it running. So there was all kinds of stuff. And and you know as I said before, if if anyone had an inkling that this was going to have the kind of legs it had, you know they, all that stuff would have been saved. But nobody knew. Hmm. Well, we, we've all heard about Wally Burr's tenacity in the studio, uh, but did anybody ever tell him no? Like, ain't going to do it, Wally. I'm already bleeding from the throat over here. Yes. Um, yeah, only a few times. Peter Peter would uh, – actually, Peter is, is once, once again a, a consummate professional. Um, uh, Peter is, a, is an incredible talent and a really sweet guy as well. But occasionally he would say to Wally, we would have to do something called group walla, which is, you know, if there's a crowd scene or something like that, everybody has to kind of go, and they overlay that and overlay that and overlay that so you sound like you had, you know, 300 people. And the only time I ever uh, heard Peter or anyone say anything to Wally was, uh, and Peter's job was really tough because he was working way down deep, and that really takes a toll. He asked Wally if he could do the walla at at the end of the session rather than at the beginning, just to save his voice. And Wally said, yeah, sure, no problem. But that's the only time I can remember anybody saying to Wally, I'm not going to do any more of this. I mean, no, nobody ever threw their script down in a huff and, and left the room. You just did what you were told. And you huh. were told a lot with Wally. Yeah, those marathon recording sessions. Yeah, we had eight-hour recording sessions, and this is this. Bear in mind, this is a 22-minute show. When you take out the beginning, the end credits, and the commercials, it's 22 minutes. We spent eight hours recording that show. That's a lot of time. So, you know, Wally was a, a real perfectionist when it came to the readings that you gave him. He would not move on until you gave him exactly what he wanted to hear. And it used to, I mean. If you weren't used to it, I've seen actors just completely reduce the mounds of jello by the time Wally was done with them. <laughs> it, was, it's, it's not, it wasn't really funny, but it was kind of in a way because, you know, all of us who were in the regular cast would kind of look at each other and go, oh, this poor guy, man. He this poor guy. <laughs> what he's for, you know? And uh, it, 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 it was really rough. A lot of times it was really rough on the, on the guest cast, people who came in, you know, not knowing the show. <laughs> Let me ask you a question about uh, Transformers the movie. 
1986 one. Uh, we, we heard that you were unhappy about Spike saying the the oh shit line in the theatrical version of the movie. What would you have done if they had given that line to Bumblebee? Well, I would have said it, I'm sure. But here, here I'll tell you, I'll share this with you. This is something that that people don't know that Wally told me. This was after the book went out. Was out. I was talking to Wally, and I mentioned that, and he said, as he remembered it, they were goofing around, and uh, Corey did the line and threw in the what is it, damn? What does he say? He says, "Oh shit, what are we gonna do now?" Because Unicron's right, okay. about to swallow the ship whole. Okay, so actually, the line didn't have the word shit in it. And they were just fooling around, and, and Corey just said, you know, and, 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 and shit. And apparently it got sent to New York, and either by mistake or probably, I think what it was was the producers go, hey, you know, we're a movie now. We can go a little bit further than we could on TV. Let's leave that in. So that, according to Wally, is how that got in. Oh, wow. The story goes that they left it in there to, to get away from the G rating. Well, yeah, exactly. That You know... It's like, remember the very early days of cable? Well, I remember the early days of cable when you actually, there was a cable. But, um, you know, the, you could always do more. So the cable, you know, the cable shows were always edgier, and they still are. You know, there's more nudity and there's more language than, than network TV. And I think it was the same with the movie. I think you're right as far as the ratings go. And as far as, hey, it's a movie. We can do, you know, we can do more here. Although, I, I, you know, I think it was totally unnecessary and it's totally gratuitous. Is there anything that you would absolutely not do as a voice actor, or have you turned down roles yes, as, or lines that yes, cross the a, line? Yes, as a voice actor, let me. As a voice actor, I have one explicit rule: I will not perform in the nude. <laughs> I thought that was the now best part of being a voice actor. <laughs> now on camera, I have no problem with that, but while I'm doing voiceover, because there's a lot of movement going on, and I'm afraid I might hurt someone in the studio. You can use your imagination. <laughs> oh wow! Um, <laughs> uh, in lieu of working with Orson Welles, we could probably hook you up with Mo, uh, Maurice Lamarche. Does an awesome Orson Welles. He's also currently working on Rescue Bots, another Transformers property. Um, yeah. I, we don't think that they've cast their version of Bumblebee yet. So essentially, would you ever want to go back to being Bumblebee? Yeah, sure, I do in a minute. And as a matter of fact, that's funny you mentioned it. I was having dinner with Ginny McSwain uh, just the other night. She's she's directing those those uh, shows, mm-hmm. and she was talking about you know she was talking about. And I know Mo very well, uh, Mo Lamarche um, very mm-hmm. well. We're both same agent, and I see him quite often. Um, I, I have the idea because it's such a different take on the show that they probably want to get away from you know rather than like they're doing in the movies with keeping Peter to sort of have the uh, the continuity, I think they probably would more want to move away from that. But believe me, Ginny's a friend of mine. If there was, if, if they were casting for it, she'd, you know, she'd definitely throw my name out. But my instinct and my, and my knowledge of this town would say to me that they probably would want to use something different. Mm-hmm. But you know, That's a shame. Know. I know they're using Peter as Optimus Prime again. So yeah, it would Peter be really cool to hear you pop up. The, yeah. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, well, Peter and Frank are doing uh, um, in in Prime. They're doing uh, they're Optimus doing and role. Megatron. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I've I've heard it 
talked about on on some of the blogs in the blogosphere that uh, it would be great if uh, Bumblebee got his voice, that if they went to me. and Now, that would make more sense to me because that's more of a continuity. So, yeah, you never yeah. know. You know, like like I said, I thought I was done with Spider-Man, and then they called me to, to do this game last year. So yeah. that's the wonderful and terrible thing about being an actor. You never really know what's around the corner. The wonderful thing about and this is we're going to transition actually into some movie stuff here in a second, but the wonderful thing for me with Prime is it's Frank, but it's him not doing the old voice. He's essentially yeah, yeah. deepened it because that older, higher pitch, he, he said this in interviews in, in the past, that the higher pitch, the old voice hurts his vocal cords. So he essentially yeah. deepened the voice and it sounds so awesome. Yeah, and you also understand he's 30 years older now too. So, and your voice has a tendency to to take on, um, you know, a deeper quality. Um, so, yeah, I think it works beautifully for for the character. Yes. Uh, speaking of Michael Bay's Transformers, <laughs> yeah. do you at all feel cheated that you did not get to do the voice work for Bumblebee? <laughs> yeah, in a way, I actually read for it. Um, they they sent the, the, some scripts over. I don't know whatever happened to my audition, but. Uh, you know, here's what I here's also what I'm thinking about this thing. You see this the movie, and I saw the first one, which I thought was you know was terrific. I mean, the, the CGI is absolutely awesome. The second one, I stopped watching about 20 minutes into it because I thought it sucked big time, and I never got to see the third one. So maybe I'll look at the fourth one. I don't know. I'm being completely honest with you. So the third one in, has actually got a better story than the second one. I I guarantee you. Yeah, it would well. have to. If a three-year-old had written it, it would have to have a better story. <laughs> uh, anyway, you would have been yeah, awesome, Michael though. Bay should not let his children write these scripts anymore. That's, that's been the problem. Uh, oh, at boy. any rate, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, in, I'm never going to work again now. This isn't going to go out <laughs> and be broadcast anywhere, is it? Because I, I can't have oh, yes. listening to this. Oh, God help me. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh. So, actually, I think uh, we're going to transition into conventions. Yes, we're having a lot uh, of transitions here. Right? Well, it's yeah, well, we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff to cover. We're we're moving, we're moving. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, so, tell us about BotCon 2012. Are you really looking forward to this? Are you excited? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I really am. It's it's such a kick to do the conventions, and this is the biggie, of course, as you know. Yes. Um, I mean, thousands and thousands of fans, and it's just—I got to tell you, from from the performer standpoint, it's such a thrill. I mean, people say they're thrilled to meet you. It's a thrill to meet them, um, to hear the, this, all the kind words that they have to say, and all the compliments, and you know, people saying, "Wow, you were such a big part of my childhood and stuff." And it's it's just—it's really heartwarming. Everybody is so kind, um, so polite, uh, just respectful. And uh, it's just a great, great feeling. I told my wife, it's like being Brad Pitt for a weekend. <laughs> you know, it's like what it's, I'm sure it's like what they go through every day of their life. Well, for me, I'm super famous for an entire weekend. <laughs> so they're yeah, a lot of fun. Are a lot of fun. Yeah, as I said, I hadn't been to BotCon. I think the last time I was there was 2004, which is the only time I was there. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And once again, if you guys, if anyone's in the area or uh, if you're not in the area, fly out there and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be some fun. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to be able to make it this year. Uh, normally I do. Mm. It's a shame, yeah, too, because I decided not to go before I found out you were going to be there. 
And it's like, well, oh, hell. That would, have, that would have made the deal for you. I what know. What if I send you an airplane ticket? <laughs> <laughs> Hook me up. Well, that's the thing is they don't okay. tell you who's going to be there before they well, – you know what? I got to tell you, they don't make these deals until really late. Now, I, which surprises me, um, the deals aren't really made until just you know shortly before the convention. And I find that interesting because I think you'd want to publicize who was going to be there, but that's the way they do it. Yeah. Right. Well, well I mean, at, you have at to this point, we're about twenty, thirty days away from the convention. I mean, that's that's the thing, and you just got announced like two weeks ago. Yeah, I know. Well, they just put the deal in place a couple of weeks ago, so yeah, you know, that's. But you know, I we had been talking to them for a while, but you know, it just it just took a long time to put together. Mm-hmm. Like six months ago, when the initial you know Raffles tickets sold out, I was like, well, maybe I'll just skip it this year and. You know, yeah. I'm not gonna. Well, you, yeah, I'm not, well, not going to fight for it. Well, that's too bad. You, you're going to miss me, and it's it's a pretty. You know, it's going to be a devastating blow for you, I'm sure. Well, we have you here, though, so that's that's the important thing. <laughs> that's true. You got the vocal part, so it's that's fine. that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not sure because we're going to kind of wrap this up, but I have to bring this up because I don't know when the next time is I'll ever talk to you or see you again. Is oh God, I I, I've heard no hold on I've heard that you disliked the transition from Bumblebee into Goldbug. Now myself as a fan, when that happened in Rebirth, Bumblebee was injured. He was essentially going to go offline, and when they fixed him and brought him back, and you said the line of "I'm no longer just plain old Bumblebee. I'm a Gold Bug." I absolutely love that line. <laughs> Well, you are you, my friend, are in the minority. Uh, just about just about everybody I've talked to has agreed with me. I just felt like it, why? And the answer is obviously more toys. Mm. Um, I, and I talk about this in the book very briefly too. Um, that you know, why in the world would you take a popular character from a television show that everybody knew and loved, and in one of the very last episodes? completely change his his physicality it doesn't make any sense except it does when you realize that it's a toy company that's producing the thing and they're going to sell some gold uh, bugs now so it 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 bothered me it bothered me on a just like an artistic level i think it is and and, and once again i discussed this in the book yeah i I mean i think i'm fairly honest about it and i I don't think i'm i'm bitter or anything like that it it did bother me though it did bother me the same way the movie bothered me um the fact that most of the regular cast got killed off, and you know the uh, the bulk of the work was done by uh, you know uh, Leonard Nimoy or Orson Welles or Eric Idle, who are certainly great talents. But didn't the fans come to see our show? Yeah, you, you have no idea how many people cried. That was a rhetorical people, question, guys. Yeah. That was rhetorical. You don't need to answer yes. that question. Yes. It was just. Oh, well, Terry, I'd like to hear you answer the question. <laughs> I was, I was, I was crying. Actually, yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> you can't just kill Thank everybody you. else like that, you know. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Is there anywhere online or anything where fans can interact with you that you want to give out? Well, I'm not necessarily to interact with me. I'd like to uh, let the fans know where they can purchase the book. Okay. Sure. If, if you would allow me to do that. Yeah, it's on Amazon.com. Uh, it's available. It's called Bumblebee and Me by Dan. Or it's Bumblebee and Me, My Life as a G1 Transformer by Dan Gilvis. And the cover is done is a caricature of me riding a yellow Volkswagen done by a very talented uh, young lady who runs uh, a Retro Screamers uh, website, uh, Rosemary Ward. Many of you probably know her. Oh, yes. Um, she, 
Yeah, she's really, really, what a sweet girl. I'm going to see her in Dallas. She said, when I told her I was working on it, she said, can I do anything for you? And I said, well, I need a cover. And she said, let me work out something. And she came up with a wonderful, wonderful uh, cover for the book. So anyway, the book is uh, Bumblebee and Me, Life as a G1 Transformer. It's available on Amazon.com in paperback or uh, for your Kindle. Or it's also available, as you mentioned, uh, as an audio book. So go there, buy it, enjoy it, and uh, God be with you. We'll have to put a link on the website. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've good. already got that up there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. As I said, the the fans have have really gone out of their way to tell me how much they've enjoyed this. So it's really been it's really been gratifying to me that uh, that everyone's enjoyed it as much as they have. Uh, before we let you go, is there any any upcoming things that you've got going on that you would like to inform anyone about? Well, the only thing that I have in stone right now is. Um, is the Dallas appearance at uh, BotCon. We're working on a few other things for later in the year and even next year, but I really can't talk about them until they're, um, until they're set. So um, that's really the only thing that's set in stone at this point. I mean, I continue to work, and I'm doing, um, you know, I, I do commercial work, and I do a lot of uh, other voiceover radio work and mm-hmm. stuff like that uh, just to, you know, to keep my hand in more or less. And I'm also working on another novel. Uh, I should mention that, uh, that uh, in addition to Bumblebee and Me, the first book that I wrote was a novel called Drowned in the Grenadine. And it was, it's a story of an actor and it's, it's fictional, but it's based on a lot of the experiences that I've had, uh, out here. And it's, it's a pretty funny book too. So I'm working on another novel and that's taking up some time. So, uh, that'll probably be out sometime next year. So there's, there's stuff happening. Awesome. Awesome. We would like to thank Mr. Gilvezan for taking the time to chat with us in this special TFG1 podcast interview. We will ask you to hold the line, and we'll be back after this. Back? I'm better than ever! Look at this new paint job! I've gone beyond being just plain old bumblebee. I'm a gold bug! Wow. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Dan the Man Gilvezan. That was awesome. That was pretty exciting. I mean, it was... uh he's a voice from my childhood and it's always really cool to hear them speak to you, even if they're calling you by a name that is totally not your name. (laughs) Pecan court, Terry here. (laughs) (laughs) You should have used your son's name. Aiden. Oh, that's your middle name. It's not my middle name. (laughs) Wasn't it it your middle name? Oh, no, no, no. Oh no. You're for, uh, I get his it back. Middle name first name is first his name. middle name. Hey, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Michael. But anyway, Dan Gilson. That was very awesome. Then I could have told, played it back to my kid, and it would have been like, "Who the hell is this old guy talking to me?" You know. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny. That would have been smart. You should have said that. Uh, yeah, I should have. I, I didn't think of that. But yes, uh, Dan Gilson. It was awesome to talk with him. Uh, everyone needs to go get his book. It's an. I recommend the audio book just because it's him reading it and it's you I find I connect more like that with an audiobook from someone like Dan Gilvezan versus reading it on the page and and just hearing a voice in my head um very very awesome so yes uh that's going to do it for this first uh, TFG1 voice actor interview uh, we do have plans for other G1 voice actors to uh, come on the show. Kind of a rebirth for the TFG1 podcast. If you Ooh. shut up, <laughs> please don't do that again. Yeah. 
Hey, I liked it. It was good. Anyways. Uh, we're going to have an hour-long toy commercial where everyone's in, <laughs> introduced really, really quickly, and nothing really good happens, and then they kill Bumblebee. Shut up. All right, so <laughs> I am TF2 and Mike, and you are? Pecan Court Terry. <laughs> oh, kid, it's Pecan Court Michael. Catch you again next time. Oh, God, it's like Astro Train just ran us over. <laughs> Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.